Welcome to the intersection of Black culture and horticulture with your girl, Cola B. Talking. And guess what, y'all? We Black in the Garden. Hey, Soil Cousins. Welcome to episode two of season three of Black in the Garden. I am your girl, Cola B. Talking, and I am very happy and excited to be back. Uh, you know, we're just getting started, getting it rolling. We have so much in store for this season. I know I keep saying it, but it's because it's true. And not only do we have things in store for season three and beyond, there's just all the things that you could imagine or maybe not could imagine, but either way it goes, amazing things will be happening. Okay. So I hope that you are well. As we are, as this is happening live, it is currently like, you know, like all the way up into fall, right? And so I got you covered actually as far as some gardening concerns that you may have. And that is coming up in our segment on today, which is, I'm just calling it Garden 411 with Dr. Haley, who has graciously, um, returned uh, for her. She was on season one. She is the urban academic. And so you can go back to season one and hear that conversation that I had with her. But she has reprised her extremely valuable and brilliant addition to this community by coming in and giving us very specific advice on what we can do for our gardens as far as fall preparation or fall whatever, and winter preparation. That is not necessarily my strong suit, if I can be honest with you. Uh, Things have been kind of up and down, in and out in my life in particular, uh, as I kind of got into that a little bit on the opener of season one, the last episode, go back to the last episode and understand that When it comes to transition and transitioning and housing instability and moving and not being at the same garden site from one year to the next, especially if you're not at the same garden site or even in the same. Shout out to those of you who have these incredible, gorgeous, flourishing gardens who are very familiar with that space, who have had the time to build up that ecosystem. That's a very important thing. And so uh, that is why for me in particular, I am very much looking forward to the day when I will be settled in such a similar way so that I can really enjoy, you know, hey, it's this time of year. This is when the canna lilies bloom, which is actually one of my favorite parts of any gardening season. There are just certain things that we can look at, there are certain signs that we see that are happening in our garden and it can really be an indication as to literally the time of year that it is based on what's happening with those hostas in your landscape or what's going on with the timing of a succulent bloom. I don't know, but you know, okay. And anyway, because there's a lot of things that I want to let you know about, but I'm putting too much pressure on myself. Let's just get straight to it. So we started the plant Kiki. I am we, but my group 
my brilliant, beautiful group of hosts of The Plant Kiki, consisting of Derek, the chocolate botanist who you just heard uh, advertising that on the last episode. Derek's in there. Derek was on season one. Camille was on season one. She's on there. Brian was on season one. He's on there. Gloria, the outstanding, magnificent writer and plantress. She has not been on Black in the Garden yet, but she's on the plant Kiki. And you are welcome because it's a blessing. All right. So the plant Kiki is what I've been calling my, uh, just a, a baby that just kind of sprung up on me. I, I tell everybody that I got knocked up because Black in the Garden was very much like an intentional kind of like, you know what? We are definitely doing this. We are planning this out. We are ordering all the cute little baby shoes and clothes and we are getting the guests together and we got like structure, format, boom, boom, boom. All of that still exists on the plant Kiki, but it was something that, kind of came to me and I was just like, you know what? Do it. Let's just do it. And I've spoken on that very concept, not just on the last episode, which I've been referring to a lot because it was so good. And if you heard it, then you would understand if you didn't hear it yet, you still have time. That's the best that I can tell you still go back. So as far as starting something, I've spoken on that plenty of times throughout the whole life of Black in the Garden because that is exactly what Black in the Garden represents, is someone deciding that there was something that was important enough for them to do, that someone being me. So let me just be more specific. I decided that there was something that meant a lot to me that I should do, and so I did Black in the Garden. The plant kiki means a lot to me, and it means what it means for different reasons. One of my favorite things about it is the opportunity to give the opportunity to some of my fellow soil cousins who are, I, I just find them to be amazing and dynamic and brilliant voices. And it's a good time. I should have led with that, right? Because, you know, we all like to have a good time. So if you couldn't tell from the name, the plant Kiki, Kiki is a term that originates in LGBTQ culture. I want to say just more specifically, the kiki is a, a, a kiki is a term that originates in black gay culture. Let's just put it out there like that. And so that is always a good time. I've had plenty of those in my life and we all deserve to have a good kiki, uh, especially considering the year that we are in the circumstances, the climate. This has been an interesting year. Because as much as I can say, hey, here's a list of things that happened in 2020 that I don't like, that have been very frustrating and annoying and inconvenient, I can say that the list of things that have been good and positive and helpful to me as a person and growing as a person and podcasting and all of that stuff, I can definitely say that there's just as many good things definitely more. I am more so in the business of counting my blessings than trying to count up how much ridiculous things have happened that I would prefer not to think about. So we'll just leave it at that. And one of those things, the plant kiki. All right. We want y'all to laugh. We want y'all to have a good time just for the sake of that. And that's it. 
Of course, you'll learn something. Of course, we'll have introspective moments. Of course, we will talk a little bit about shady plant history or anything else that comes up that we can find a way to kiki about, but also in a very interesting way where you can take something away from it. So that's what I want you to get from the plant kiki. We want it to be a part of your self-care as you are taking care of your plants. Part of your plant care, self-care, you know, just do it all at the same time. Take care of your plants, take care of yourself, listen to the kiki, boom. All right. Also, the Compost Society, a whole movement has begun. This is me saying, hey, I figured out a way to mobilize people around being intentional about food waste in a way that is considerate of regenerative agriculture. Excuse me. I, I stopped the whole thing to clear my throat and get a drink. And yet still, but we're going to get through this. (laughs) So the compost society is definitely wanting to, or aiming to restore some balance in this world through the things that we can do to be very intentional about our food waste. And so that began with the pumpkin drive, which legit started like two weeks before Halloween, because I was just like, yo, first thing we could do is we can make people aware of the fact that they're throwing pumpkins out. We throwing pumpkins out, not a good look, bad for the environment. You know how capitalism is and how it gets and how it affects how we consume during times like the holidays, you know, and that's just it. And so when it comes to organic matter being grown and purchased and produced, I mean, and consumed in mass, then I was just like, yo, I'm just, I'm very, very much looking forward to seeing what happens with this in the future, because this is literally just the beginning. So the Compost Society is taking those pumpkins that we have collected from that pumpkin drive, which went very successfully. And we are like those pumpkins right now, as we speak, are decomposing in the name of creating compost. Shout out to the Wild Center in Decatur, Georgia. We are so grateful to have you as a partner in that endeavor. So thank you, thank you, thank you on that. And thank you to all of you who have already joined the Compost Society. We're growers, all right? And what that stands for, that's an acronym. I came up with it. Getting rid of waste, encouraging regenerative sustainability. You need to be a grower if you're not a grower, all right? Just start with following on the socials. The website is coming. Everything is on the way. So many exciting and new things on the way. And the Compost Society is already underway. So what's the 411, huh? All right, so Dr. Ailey... Let's talk a little bit about how we can prepare our gardens for the fall. And if you don't mind distinguishing between what we do in the South versus the North. And when I say South, I'm kind of referring to like a warmer climate. I don't know if if you want to include California in that. Break it down in in your doctor, (laughs) doctory way. Okay. So basically, I think what you're really talking about is areas that experience a killing frost. 
or hard freeze as opposed sure. to places that don't. So exactly. warmer climates, you know, when you think about Florida or the deep south where you don't really get a whole lot of snow or, you know, ice, those are more sort of tropical, I guess, is the way that they would maintain their gardens is the same way you would maintain your gardens in the islands. And so they, mm. they're growing all the time, but there may be changes in precipitation. There may be a windy season. There may be a rainy season rather than snow and frost and that sort of thing. So what they do is slightly different than what everyone else is going to do. But more of the country freezes than not. More of the country mm-hmm. experiences frost than not. So there are some common things that we do in terms of garden cleanup. And that may have to do with where we are in the calendar, you know, frost or freeze, or whether we're entering a rainy season or dry season. But basically, the where you start is removing your finished plants, plants that are done, that they produce what they're going to produce and they're done. And you need to make room for new plants or you need to rest that bed or whatever the case may be. Um, The way that you remove those plants impacts your soil health. So Mm -hmm. it's important to not just kind of savagely rip things (laughs) out of the ground, um, which I think most of us have a tendency to do, like we're done with this and out it goes. Yeah, better. I've done that. Yeah, we've all done that. Better to cut things off at the root. So cut your stalks at the base right above ground, just just right above ground, or even dig a little bit and get under there and get as close to the root as you can and just snip it if you can, if that's easy. And the reason for that is when you pull things out of the earth, it's violence. You know, whether you realize it or not, it is violence. And in pulling like that, you're literally turning a world upside down. Does that make sense? Turning a world upside down. You are. Microorganisms are in the soil. They live in their best life. You know, they, they convert <laughs> converting your soil, um, you know, your plant matter into rich soil. They're contributing, you know, with their castings and whatnot. They're cleaning up. They're, they're doing their thing. And when mm-hmm. we till or when we yank things out of the ground very unceremoniously, What we're doing is pulling things out from where they normally live and Mm -hmm. thrive. And we're pulling them up into a place that's unfamiliar and perhaps hostile. So some organisms do not thrive in light and air. They do better in the dark and sort of, you know, deep below the surface where there's not a lot of air. They do better there. So when you bring them up, close them to air and light you may likely kill them. But these are the same microbes that you want to serve you in your soil. That is a very good point. I like the way that you put it. We talked about the microorganisms in the soil and the way that, you know, snatching the plants out is violence to that ecosystem that, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the microorganisms that are thriving before you snatched it. So what about the bugs that are hibernating? Yeah. Before we get there, the root system that you leave down there intact ends up degrading and feeding your worms and other decomposers. So you're actually leaving food for them at a time when there normally isn't a lot, right? 
So you're ensuring that mm. they're they're fed and that that material is going to break down and go right back into your beds. And so the insects, I don't know, do you mean pests or do you mean beneficials? Hmm. Do we have a choice over who stays <laughs> and who don't? Well, you can make favorable conditions for certain things and not for others. Ooh, definitely beneficials. Cause like, really who's trying to save the pests? So a lot of times your beneficials show up because they're a pest. Soil Cousins, what's up? I want to talk to you right quick about hypercreative pot salting. And of course, I'm excited to share that with you because this is my way of giving back to the podcasting community. Some of you already have a podcast and that's cool. Let's make it better. Some of you want to start a podcast. 2021 is coming up and we have so many dope and amazing, incredible stories that we would like to tell or formats that we would like to get into. There's so many things that we can do creatively with podcasting. And if you need some help with creative direction specifically, I am your girl here to offer my hyper-creative pod salting. Now you can go to hypercreativepodsalting.com. That's going to be in the show notes, obviously. Just a little bit more about me to remind you, I am the head creative, the producer, and the content creator behind not one, but two podcasts, Black in the Garden and The Plant Kiki. We're having a great time, it's going well. And that's why I realized, you know what? More people want to do this, but not everybody is certain about how to get started. So I have a few tools in my toolkit that I am excited to share with my fellow pod cousins, budding pod cousins, future pod cousins. It could absolutely be you. We just need to get started. We just need to have a conversation. We need to have a consultation, a podsultation. <laughs> Go to hypercreativepodsulting.com to get started on your podcasting journey with your girl, Cola. Hey, Soil Cousins, I know that this is one of the highlights of any episode of Black in the Garden, and it absolutely is a highlight for me. And getting to have a conversation with Tyler Thrasher, he's a mad scientist, he's also mad curious, he's a mad podcaster, he does this whole show, Greenhouse Rants, he crystallizes and opalizes cicadas and like snail shells. Like you got to get on his website. You really got to get into it. And I encourage you to do that while you're listening. And he's very much one of those tip of the iceberg kind of people where it's like, sure, you can know plenty about him, but you're still not really going to get it all because it's just this, this deep, deep well of brilliance. And so I am so thrilled to uh, present this interview to you because it was so much that we got into and we didn't get to get into all of it on the very first interview. He was like, cool, no problem. Let's do a part two. So we're going to have a two parts to this. That's what we're doing. And I cannot wait for you to get into it. Make sure that you get on that Patreon so that you can get advanced access to part two. That's what we're doing as well. So get into this interview with Tyler Thrasher and you all enjoy. All right. So today on Black in the Garden, I am very excited to introduce you to Tyler Thrasher, right? I'm going to tell you why. Because he is like a mad botanist. 
he like creates plants. It's really dope. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. But he's also an artist and a fellow podcaster. He's my pod cousin, y'all. Pod bro, if you will. I don't know. We'll see where this goes. Super relaxed, super chill. Love that about you, sir. Tyler Thrasher, welcome to Black in the Garden. Hello. Thanks for having me. (laughs) I'm so excited. (laughs) I can tell, yeah. Wildly entertained already. This is gonna be this is gonna be pretty great. <laughs> so he's maybe referring to the fresh plant haul that I just showed him. He's only like the second adult to take a glimpse at the plants that I just got. One giant ass air plant, y'all. It's so big. It's like bigger than my head. It actually just <laughs> got stuck in my hair. And a tetrasperma. What did you call it? A raphidophora tetrasperma. Boom. We gonna come back to that. Because what happens here on season three of Black in the Garden is I have a question I ask you first, which is, when did you first realize that plants were an important part of your life? Oh, good God. <laughs> Man, you said you was excited. This is a good time go. to sip your drink while you think about it. <laughs> the first time that I for real looked at plants uh, with that sort of like look I have now mm-hmm. uh, during a a young, like a young part of my life, I had spent a couple of years literally living in a greenhouse. And uh, it was during one of the hardest, darkest moments of my life. And Mm. so I had this contrast where every day was spent in just like, just the murky realities of humanity. And then I would turn around and there would be greenhouses absolutely full with bougainvillea, uh, geraniums, all kinds of flowers. My dad was a nursery owner. And every moment I was met with some dark reality of being a human, I would turn around and there'd be this lush uh, trailing flower or plant. And it was this escape for me where I would sometimes literally hide and take cover behind large plants. And so they, in a way, had literally protected me and given me life and had given me sort of space to live and be safe. And I kind of had this thing in my head where I was like, okay, we can chill because you and I, like plant, me and plants have this uh, symbiotic relationship that I more so depended on them. And that was probably the first moment where I was like, yeah, I I think me and plants will be good till I die. (laughs) Yo, what you just said though, How many people can say that they have a symbiotic relationship with plants? It's true for many of us, of course. Yeah, yeah. But for Uh, you to recognize that, and can you you elaborate a bit more on that? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I I helped my dad at his nursery Mm -hmm. growing up because my dad couldn't afford to hire help, so he had me. And I put me in charge... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Good old-fashioned you know, labor, yeah. <laughs> hey, I wasn't in a coal mine, so I'll take what I can get. Um, sure that. But he put me in charge of the geranium house, and I was in charge of watering thousands of geraniums. My dad would give me very strict oh, rules. Yes. Don't, don't water the petals, because you'll kill the flowers. Uh-huh. And so I had to, like, meticulously water just the root in the soil uh, of thousands of geraniums and this method had really instilled in me the ability to care for plants and the patience that is required and it was a distraction 
action, like from my everyday life, which had at that point consisted of, of mostly dark, traumatic things. Yeah. It was one of the only constants I could rely on was waking up and being able to spend two hours uninterrupted, completely safe, Aww. watering thousands of geraniums. And so there was a there was a symbiotic relationship. These plants had distracted me from everyday life. They had kept me safe. In an exchange, I took care of them. It was, by definition, a symbiotic. We were keeping each other alive. Let's get into this vulnerability that we're all hearing here, where you're alluding to the darkness, the shitty parts, the not-so-pleasant mm-hmm. parts that you were escaping from in these greenhouses. I really appreciate your vulnerability and being open with that. So what I want to do is kind of unpack that a little bit more and, and help us understand why you decide to share those parts about yourself and tell us a little bit about what that darkness was. Well, for me, it is important to be honest, not with just ourselves, but those around us. Mm -hmm. And I sit in a very specific position that not most humans get. I have Mm -hmm. a huge following online, uh, people from all over the world that that care about what I do, care about what I say, and invest in who I am. Now, there's a a dichotomy here that happens where you have me on social media, and then you have what social media does, which is presents a perfect manicured life. And Mm -hmm. I believe it is my job to actively oppose that, because while social media is a great tool that can be used for a lot of good, there are some very dark, self-serving parts of media where I could very well just say, my life's great, it's perfect, it's pure, you all should be jealous and envious. And that's what a lot of people use social media for. How is it that that became the default? I don't know, it's so obnoxious because it feels like that's what you should do when you're feeling like you're in a public view. I think we're scared of ourselves and I think we're scared of people finding us out. And I don't want to spend my short life here in the universe, uh, pretending I'm not what I am. And unfortunately for me, some of the things I grew up with, I didn't get to pick, but I do get to pick Mm -hmm. how I react and behave to those as an adult. And so Mm -hmm. I face them head on. Um, I could run from them and I could pretend they're not there. And guess what? I'm in the same boat as the people that came before me. When my job as a parent and as someone who's trying to be a somewhat decent human is to break that chain. So the reason I'm so open about it is because I'm not the only one in this position. You know, I have a weird skill of attracting people who've had fucked up childhoods and mm. and, and dark, dark origins. Mm. And like X-Men. Yeah. So, so <laughs> I feel like my goal is A, to inspire others and show that the world is full of wonders. Mm. And B, It's also to show that you can grow from trauma. You can grow from the dark, dark pavement that has been poured over our garden bed. Like we are allowed to grow and thrive from that and learn. Because here's the other thing, science-wise, every change I make to my brain right now, every neural pathway I redirect, alters my DNA and therefore permanently changes how my son could interact with the world. I have a biological duty to be honest about the traumas and the stresses that are ingrained in my DNA so I can change it for those to come after me. So that's why I'm very open. It's a duty. It's a moral duty and a scientific duty. (laughs) So, okay. The vulnerability, right? The essentially keeping it real because it's like, 
we can fake it, but then we're really doing ourselves a disservice. You're talking about literally changing your DNA, sounding real sciencey, sounding very philosophical. So it's like, how, how do we lose? You're, you're saying like you're taking this personal responsibility and not giving into pressures that you could otherwise give into, knowing that you have a, a level of visibility that comes with this following that you have, but mm-hmm. not taking yourself too seriously no. in, in that position. Because it's like then people, they tend to categorize you in a way that ends up being restrictive. You know, it's like mm-hmm. they are expecting perfect Tyler. And you're like, but I haven't shaved in weeks. Like, I what pick do you my mean? nose while I drive. Yeah, it's gone. <laughs> Talk to yourself out loud. You know what I'm saying? Like, he just mm-hmm. admitted publicly to picking his nose. It's just like, <laughs> you don't really get that much more open than that. So I, I appreciate you so much for that. It's just, it's refreshing to me. What can I say? It's so interesting how you... The connection that I made when you said that you get to like alter your DNA, it made me think about what you do with plants. Like you actually take part in hybridizing. Can you just kind of tell us what that means? So hybridizing is the act of taking two different plants and quite literally uh, making a hybrid. And that can mean anything. That could mean you could hybridize two plants that have two, two different flower colors take a red and a white and then hopefully make a pink flower or you could take they do it in agriculture all the time maybe you have corn that is more vigorous growing than all the other crops well you want to crossbreed that gene back again so that most of the offspring will be as vigorous growing as one of the parents hybridizing is just and it's fucked up because when humans apply it to humans that's where you get racism and eugenics but whenever you take it into plants that's where you get yeah yeah and that's where you get botany and so it's taking traits from different plants you like and then mixing them together now for me the fun is making plants that are seemingly a little different from what you see and i have always viewed the natural world and this is very human of me don't get me wrong uh, i've always viewed the natural world as a sort of paint palette i view the periodic table like a toolbox i view the natural world like it's just a big box of crayons and paper and markers and stickers and it's an instrument for creativity that's where humans are right now nature to make art and we can tinker nature. That's how we're fighting diseases and how we have the amount of food that we have. And so for me, I'm not trying to cure cancer or like solve the food desert problems. My job is to show people this stuff is possible and you don't have to have a degree to do it. You can literally just buy a few plants and have a little windowsill and when they all flower, you can cross pollinate them and make possibly a brand new uh, hybrid plant. We didn't know that, okay. I am we. All right. So (laughs) I feel like that's most of us though. Like I feel like the record just scratched in everybody's head. Like, whoa, wait, you saying I can hybridize my own? Yeah. Fuck yeah. It happens in nature accidentally all the time. That's, that's how we get, that's evolution. I mean, we find plants in nature that thrive. And as far as we know, that plant could have had two very different parents and one beetle or one moth or one bat could have just cross-pollinated accidentally. Mm. These insects did not want to make a hybrid. These insects were lured in by nectar and pollen. Yes. And so 
they, it's just this mutual agreement we all have on planet Earth that we take care of one another. And this beetle cross-pollinates them, and then the seeds drop. And then 10 years later, you have a plant that is seemingly really thriving. And then yeah. years later, that same plant is what dominates that population. It's all accidental. And so if nature can do it just fucking around and bebopping back and forth and not giving a damn, then Bebop. humans <laughs> My short few years on this planet, I can do it on purpose and see what fun stuff I come up with. Very much true. So naturally into the next question being, what is your favorite example of something that you have hybridized and as well as your least favorite? But let's start with your favorite. I've only made a few hybrids because I mostly grow succulents and hybridizing takes a lot of time. My first hybrid that I had ever made is one that actually took, it's a crashula. So you see crashula all the time at plant yeah. stores. I took a crashula ossensis, which has these neon green leaves, and it's a short clumping succulent. And I took a crashula deceptor, which has these smoky gray white leaves that stack into a tower. Both very, very interesting geometric plants. And I urge your listeners to look up both of these separately. I cross-pollinated them, and the offspring that came up was a mixture of the two. So it had stacking leaves that were fairly large, and they weren't neon green. They were actually a dull green because the neon green and the gray from the parents had combined to make a sort of dull green. Now, I wanted to call this plant Crashula Nova and name it after sun, but you can't use the Latin language to name cultivars and man-made plants, human-made plants. You can't because they use the Latin language to name plants scientifically. So you have to be able to distinguish the two. So I named it, <laughs> I named it Crashula Thrashula. <laughs> the reason this plant is one of my favorites is not only is it the first hybrid I've made, but I got three seedlings to come up. And crashula are very hard to grow from seed. And I had three that survived. One of which is doing something very odd. And every summer, one of them takes on this deep purple red hue. The other two don't do this. The other two are just green year round with maybe like a slight um, red edge as the sun sort of tans the plant. I love those. Yes, that is such a cool yeah. Uh-huh. But one of them turns purple every summer, and it's cool as shit. And so it's a fun plant. Like, I had no idea what would happen. I got uh-huh. the plant, and then it surprised me again because it goes through this sort of morphological exterior change during summer. And, I'll, and so it's like you can't ever assume what the genetics will do. You never really fully know what you will get. There will always be some surprises when you're hybridizing plants, and that's the love in it for me is those surprises that nature throws at me. Wow. So that's your favorite, right? Yes. Not, not so faves. What? Any bombs? Ah, man. Oh, my God. A bunch of I, I've made some monsters. I made one hybrid, and it was a drosanthemum hybrid. And what ended up happening is it fucking self-destructed. It formed these curly leaves, and I made this hybrid twice. Second time it worked. But the first time it made these curly leaves that would split and then wrap around themselves, and it strangled itself to death. Like, it just... Yo! Okay. I, was like, oh, okay. I was like, what the fuck? Why yes, a Frankenstein plant. It was like, yeah, it was like, kill me! And then it just, oh, snap, it killed itself? It, 
it, I, I'm joking, but it, I don't think it wanted life. It, I made, I think I made a, a mistake. <laughs> it was like, I hate you. I hate my existence. I will end this. <laughs> so, so you created this Frankenstein plant. How well documented are these experiments? So originally not very well. Well documented, you know, my brain, I work kind of crazy. And so um, I just do a bunch of shit. And now I learn that if I want to publish a plant or publish my findings or experiments, I can't assume that people who weren't in my greenhouse with me know exactly what the fuck happened. I get okay. so wrapped up in my own head that sometimes I'm like, oh my God, I should have been taking notes because I yeah. know what I did. But I always present things like people know what's going on in my head. And most of the time people will look at me and they're like, what are you talking about? And my yeah. response is, what do you mean? What am I talking about? I'm talking about what I'm talking about. And so yeah. I'm learning now that I have to present things that? to people. No, <laughs> I do uh, that too. Narcissism. Okay, fine. <laughs> Call me a narcissist. I'll have a story that I want to tell sometimes. And maybe this has come across in my interviews. Sorry, y'all. But in my mind, it's like, I know what happened, right? But I'm trying to get to the part that I want to like make the point. And yeah. so I'll say it in that way. And then I'll be like beating myself up later. Like, yo, you could have explained that a lot better because you're just assuming so much. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. <laughs> um, so now most of my experiments and everything are very well documented because I'm yeah. also learning learning that well I used to assume that most people didn't care like oh. and when I first started taking up art early on it, that was the case I would share my ideas and thoughts with friends and the general consensus was is Tyler a you're not smart enough or b you you're too goofy to be taken seriously and so oh. there was a point there was a huge stint in my life where I had stopped sharing my work because I assume mm. most people didn't give a shit and now I'm learning that's not the case even when I'm like 200,000 followers later I still haven't learned that people care so now I'm starting yeah. to share all of that as I fully understand the gravity of having yeah 200,000 plus people follow you and watch your work it's kind of the scary. humility of it all where it's like I know y'all actually care but it's like Y'all actually care though, for real, you know? Yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to see sometimes. That's probably my dumb, like dumb human brain, but it, you know, it's taken a while for me to understand that people do actually kind of care about what I make. For sure, so many things that you make. Okay, so that's getting into the creative aspect of your being. So which came first for you? Was it your sincere and significant interest in plants or your recognition of your creative ability yeah you know i don't think there's a difference uh, the more mm -hmm. i have people ask me because i do so many things people ask me you know what came first plants art chemistry dnd &D, what blah 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 i don't think there's a difference i think what happened is i fought really hard to keep my curiosity strong and mm. when, when when you can keep a receptive mind and not mindless receptive to other ideas necessarily but receptive to observations almost anything can inspire you if you can learn to keep that and the thing with kids the thing i love about kids is that the world is literally new to them it's old to all oh. of us people who've been so calcified to everything because adult life is so meaningless sometimes but mm -hmm. to kids it's all new it's all exciting yes. and that doesn't that does not ever change and so what you see is you see kids with 
bonkers ass ideas. And us adults look at those ideas and go, what, you're crazy, but they're on to something. They're on to something deeper than they realize and way deeper than us adults can even begin to try to understand again. Which With is our hangups and our bullshit. Our bullshit. Mm-hmm. Kids are receptive to the world. Almost any fucking thing on this planet can inspire them. I see Nova, we went on a hike today. He stopped for 20 minutes to look at a fucking, <laughs> a rock. It was a rock. A rock. And I caught myself saying, dude, it's just a rock. But to him, it's, I don't know what his mind was doing. And I am too much of an idiot to begin to respect or understand that. And, And so I saw this and I thought, this is the best tool a human and a patron of this planet can have, which is a receptive mind so that anything on this planet can inspire you and spark some idea that could change your life or the world or the lives of those around you. Say that again. No, I'm just playing. I'm going to say <laughs> No, I tell you what, because that's kind of like a reiteration of a quote from your website, because, you know, I have to dig around a little bit because it's incredible So here it is. There's a mad scientist in all of us, y'all. Check this out. This is from his own mouth. Experimentation and fascination are core foundations to life here on planet Earth. As humans, we found ourselves constantly in love with nature and the pursuits of curiosity. This tendency to explore is a driving force to creativity and science. When these two schools come together, we can conjure some magical results, end quote. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I meant that shit. You really did because you really just said that in in another way, but you gave such a brilliant example with your son and just like, y'all just take a moment. I want everybody to just take a moment. Let's just pause right quick. All right. I'm not going to make a joke. Here's what I want you to consider. How would your life be different if your parents encouraged like every question that you had if they treated it like it was a whole ass science project instead of whooping your ass for breaking whatever you broke it's like hey you know what it seems like you're very curious about the inner workings of this thing maybe we can put it back together together yeah yeah that was an after school movie ass fantasy that some of us got to live out for a few minutes but for real if you need to pause it fantasy Pause it. Yeah, it's just a fa- And then it's like, why it gotta be a fantasy? Yeah. doesn't have to be. It just requires yeah. a lot of patience from adults, which we don't have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and of course, you know, we, we have to get around to the point where we mentioned, we're in a pandemic. So it's like, but for real, so many of us did have to slow down. And there are so many places that we couldn't go to no more and that we still can't go to. I'm not taking my kids back to Chuck E. Cheese, y'all. No, it's germs in there. So There were germs before the pandemic. That's true. Okay, I like how you put that. Who knows what the fuck was there. That's a very sciencey thing to say. But yeah, no, you're absolutely right. But you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about them germs that that we're very concerned about. The pandemic germs. The pandemic in there, y'all. But yeah, so our lives would be, ooh, is that something that you would like to elaborate on a little bit? Well, for one, adults are patient because we're not patient with ourselves. And so right. we just, we treat everyone the way the world treats us. It's a cycle. And so we get hurried along, we get rushed through things, and then we're dead. And we treat kids the same. We want to hurry them through things. And it's a beautiful, slow, patient thing human life is. And we got to look at it that way. 
The downside with growing up in a traumatic household or growing up in a dark, heavy household is there is no room for slowing down. It's all survivability. When you have the type of environment or you cultivate the type of environment where people have to just slowly survive, all of those natural survival instincts kick in. And if you look at the hierarchy of needs, the pyramid of needs, I mean, your baseline survival needs are at the bottom. Things like shelter, food, water, and things like leisurely activity and creativity are near the top. Like those are the last things a human does when all of those needs are met. And so mm-hmm. when you put children or anybody, not even children, any human in a mm-hmm. toxic dangerous environment where it's mostly based on survival, you're not going to have time to look at the world and go, how beautiful is this? But, but I had found myself in the moments, like in the greenhouse when I was alone and my needs were met, Mm -hmm. I could stop just long enough to look at our, or look at a few flowers and experiment. And I would arrange pots of flowers or I would collect rocks. When I was alone, I would collect rocks and I had my own private rock collection. I had managed to scrape a few minutes a week to just survive. And I ended up with this thing where creating became survival. I kind of, in a weird way, flipped the pyramid, the hierarchy of needs where if I'm not creating, I'm dying. And so much so that literally like, I forget to eat and drink water because I'm so busy creating and exploring. And my wife's always like, dude, you have to eat. Like you have got to take care of yourself and sleep. And I'm like, I'm like, I have all these ideas. I can't. Eating, sleeping, and drinking water is important. I suck at it. And like us talking now, I got an hour of sleep in probably the last like two days and I'm dying, but oh, my brain's on fire. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you got to fix that. I can relate that. Relate to that. I can relate to that. And specifically, it's good to hear somebody else say that just because like one of the things that I, I always bring up when it comes to like my origin story, as far as my interest in plants goes, is I remember being in the Florida heat. I was in Jacksonville. It was still hot as hell because it was summer. And I remember being out there in the landscape, repotting, tinkering, playing around with like a landscape arrangement, like just being completely enthralled. I would get annoyed when I had to use the bathroom because I would definitely have to stop <laughs> for that. I would get annoyed and it, and I'm about, I'm about to tie some things together right quick as well. And then I wouldn't want to eat. And then I got kids and my, my mate at the time was in the house with them and he got to come outside and be like, so be hungry or whatever. And I'm just like, what? Why are you bothering me with your trifling? <laughs> yeah, yeah. For Take your, your basic human needs. And Take go those needs back in the house. But it was like, yo, dead of summer could not stop. I'm sweating. I'm def- I, I didn't say I wasn't sweating. I was absolutely sweating. Yeah. But going back to the, to the bathroom part and not wanting to go to the bathroom, it makes me think about when I was a kid and also knowing how children behave, when they get caught up in they little outdoor play situation, sometimes they just straight up pee on themselves. They don't want to come in the house. And so I love that we're able to make that connection back to like with the passion and the creativity and the being so completely mentally like, you know, inundated, saturated. I can't think of the word that I really want to say, but being so immersed that we do not want anything to come between us and that particular thing at that time. 
Okay, so I'm getting back to where I was going, possibly. We'll see. But I was asking you about which came first between art and plants. And so we pretty much summed that up. And so I understand that you are definitely a plant enthusiast among your many interests, of course. But how did you decide that you would end up actually studying botany? Well, for me, it was... Right when I was graduating college, uh, I didn't have any plants uh, in college. And there's a big chunk of my childhood where I had lost the things that fascinated me. So about my teenage years when I got into uh, middle school and high school, you know, they put you through the Vitamix of like just bland bullshit. And so they pump your brain full of shit that's not important to everybody, that's not useful to everybody, and you just go through the cookie cutter. And so I lost a lot of things that gave my life meaning. And as I was graduating college, I was like, I don't want to do this shit. Like, this is not what life is meant to be. Mm -hmm. So I went to Walmart and I bought some plants. I was like, if I got to live this dumb, meaningless life, at least when they have plants. What I didn't know is that I had opened a very old, very, very old uh, rusty door. And behind that door was a monster that had been locked in there forever. And it burst out. And it was like just me and plants all over again. I went from buying two plants to having my bedroom. Literally my bedroom was so full of plants that I didn't have floor space. Like there was my bed, my desk, and I had a pathway, a single foot pathway to my desk into the bathroom in my college house and uh, I came back to Tulsa and the first house we bought we only bought it because there's a greenhouse in the backyard I talked my wife into buying a house when we were in our early 20s because there was a greenhouse in the backyard and that's how much I had prioritized my plants I didn't even sounds relatable to most of us listening Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't actively choose it. It was like my brain was like, remember when these plants saved your life? Okay, now it's More time for it to do that. Yeah, it was time for it to do it again. And what, what I didn't know is my brain had made a connection between childlike curiosity and plants and amongst them, many other things. But when I refound plants when I was, when I was in college, my brain was like lit on fire again. And so... Mm-hmm. It's not that I actively chose to study botany, I don't think. It was that I was so in love with plants and I wanted to know more. I wanted to know everything I could that, I, you know, each night I'd make an effort to learn something new about plants or I would go down some plant rabbit hole. I started learning about plants that are endangered, plants that are so incredibly rare that most people will never see them in their lifetime. Plants are poached. Plants that are so ridiculous, they don't look like they belong on this planet. That it just was this slippery slope into like wonder. And so wow. I, there's not a moment where I chose to study plants. I just was like, me and plants are like this till, till, the, till my last day. Till the and, end, till yeah, the tomb. And so that, and, and past that when they turned me into food. But anyways, so. Mm, fertilizer. <laughs> but yeah, so what ended up happening is that I, it was just a slippery slope. And then next thing I know, I started sharing plants online and people started calling me the plant guy. Like they were like, oh, this guy knows plants. And I was like, I kind of know plants. And the more I shared my fascination with others, they would respond and it fed it. It kind of validated my curiosity. That is so amazing how you made that return to plants. And 
like you said, you un- your mind kind of unlocked this rusty door. This is what I want to know. When did you realize that you had gotten back into the plants for that reason? Like that was the underlying reason. Was that through therapy? No. So that was, I think, before therapy. And what really did it, self-awareness is one of the rarest resources on the planet. And <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm aware because I'm self-aware. <laughs> <laughs> but as my work started to blow up, I didn't really know what was happening. And I kept having people ask, what inspired you? You don't ask most. Here's what's sad. I'm going to go out and say this out loud to hope that I change. We do not ask humans that question. Most people will not be asked that question. What inspired you? It just doesn't happen because we don't, A, we don't think we do things that are inspiring. And some of us are so distracted. We don't look at what other people love to do and ask them that. And Mm. I was asked it and I was never told to have an answer. I went all through art school my whole life. I went through the whole stupid fucking brutal school system. And no one ever said, Tyler Thrasher, what are you going to do when someone asks you what inspired you? Not not assuming that my work would become big or anything like that. It Mm -hmm. was... Just that was just nothing. You're not told or trained to think you'll do anything inspiring. And so we're always asked, right? Here's what we do. We always ask people, what are you going to be when you grow up? What are you going to do when you grow up? What are you going to do? We ask the same stupid fucking meaningless questions with no desirable answer ever. But the one thing we never fucking ask another human being is what inspired you? What motivated you? We save that for this top echelon of influencers and bullshit. When mm. Every single human should be treated with the same level of curiosity, respect, and admiration. And so I didn't have an answer. And people mm. kept asking me as my work blew up. They were like, what inspired you? What inspired you? What inspired you? And it, I couldn't give a satisfying answer. I'd always say, oh, I don't know. That was the real answer. And so I had to dig deep. And one of the things I realized is that what inspired me was my childhood self holding on to these things tightly. And that's oh, what it all wow. was. So, so in a way, I had to dig deep to give people a satisfying answer because no one told me that was a question I was ever going to be asked, which is a very depressing realization that I just had, that we should be asking more humans and children and adults and every single living thing what inspired you. It's like we just turned a corner because like basically having this experience of having this conversation, I'm like, yo, it's it's deeper than dropping gems. It's like it's like for real ass life game. That's like, hey, there is a more intentional and mindful way that we can engage with each other, especially with our kids. And I'm not just talking to parents when I say our kids. I mean, there are educators who are are listening. There are, you know, aunts and uncles, cousins. I have a a very soft spot in my heart for the kids and making sure that they get the proper tools from a young age. And you're saying like, we're not asking them the right questions. (laughs) I I gotta write this shit down. Do you wanna be a fireman? It's recorded. I mean, you got a track. I got a track. (laughs) I'm not going to dig back through this whole thing. I have a million thoughts, and this is a good one I got to put down. I got to do it. He's legit writing it on his arm. Is that a Sharpie? No. Okay. He's writing it on his arm. So what exactly are you writing on your arm? 
Well, just that thought. I just had this realization that we that's a very important question that we don't yeah. want people to answer. And not even that, we don't even tell people that they deserve to be asked that. I want to let you finish writing that and I'm going to tell a little bit of my story as it relates to that because I remember I've had this conversation recently, but like you, I would call it a deep thinker where it's like you take your time and for me, it, it happens best when I'm exercising, especially driving. My mind just takes off when I'm driving. It's insane. So what happens is we recognize in those moments when our brain is like, it's like it's very clear. You get to a point of thinking that is like a deep level where you really start breaking some shit down about the world or, or about yourself. So what I recognized when you're saying about asking kids about what inspires them or asking people about why they're inspired and why we should be asking this question more often, what happened for me was I was very much aware of my intelligence from a very young age. And I knew that that was something that was remarkable. However, I was the fat kid. So I'm not saying that me being the fat kid meant that I was not athletic, but it do go hand in hand a lot of time. So I was that, okay? (laughs) Not wanting, not looking forward to PE guys. Like, can't we just spend more time and lunch? I don't know. But recognizing that the athletes and the people who were able to sing or dance in a certain way, it wasn't specifically told to us as, it, as our society is. However, it was pretty clear that those were the people who were respected as talented, right? And so for me, I did not feel that I was talented or remarkable, even though I knew that I possessed a special, you know, gift of having that intelligence. It just wasn't, it wasn't blotted in the same way. Yeah. And so that's the connection that I'm making to what you're saying about like, you know, not asking that question. Cause it's like, what we're not doing is giving everybody individual credit for whatever it is that makes them special yeah. or unique. It doesn't, it turns out it doesn't have to be this super intense or ridiculous ability to do something on some kind of sports field or in some sports capacity or, you know, on a stage, Star Search, American Idol, whatever, who cares? You know what I'm saying? I took it back with Star Search, right? But... That it's 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 about the same thing because like we the the value that you would otherwise feel if you were recognized if you were seen we use that word a lot it's like I feel so seen but it's like really how do we see each other better yeah no you're on some shit yeah no I agree not just see each other but like desire to see each other clearer and and really like you said at the beginning it it really takes time that we we just don't have. Yeah. It's not that we don't have it, actually. Let me let me make sure I get my words all the way right. It's not that we don't have time. It's that we're not taking the time because well, we are thinking that we're supposed to prioritize other things. Go ahead. What you yeah. Say. yeah, well, uh, just off of that, it's we could have the time. It's just we don't really live in a system that cares because listening to other people and, and seeing people for who they are and appreciating what they bring to planet Earth as a unique entity you that doesn't make money 
that doesn't drive up stock prices, that doesn't send, that doesn't pump up money to the top layer of scum that sits on the top of this fucked up system. We're all. You talking about the one percent? I'm talking about the one. I'm talking about the one percent. I'm talking about all of us that just like push up to that shit. Human connection is not monetarily. It's not valuable. It is valuable in a way that does not make money, but genuine human connection is one of the least money-making resources. It just, because it just, all it does is it raises the inner value of another person while taking away your time, which is a beautiful exchange that one human can give to another, but Mm. that doesn't make money for the fucking billionaires and that doesn't pump up stock prices and all that bullshit. See, I mean, what you're really doing is you're calling out capitalism as the, I don't even, I'm not even going to try to find the word for what it is. But what happened was it was less than an hour before we got started. I'm having a conversation with a homegirl and she's describing an experience that her husband had with working for the post office and how wild it was around, you know, the holidays and just how much like they were just hijacking people, their employees lives, just straight up period. You know what I'm saying? And what was running in the back of my mind that I didn't even get to articulate because I'm just, I'm wanting to like listen and engage in the conversation in a different way. But what's running in the back of my mind is all this shit just for like whatever the fuck is in the packages or whatever, like all of that misery, like they are subjecting all of these employees to whatever it is they're subjecting them to, which they all pretty much hate like every aspect of it. Just so that this part of the system can continue to operate in whatever way it operates. But at the bottom line, at the core of it all, is capitalistic gain. And it's like, y'all, that's a big old problem. That's, you know, that's when we say decolonize, that is a part of what we mean by saying decolonize. It's like, how are we treating each other? Are we treating each other in a way that we have been colonized to treat each other because all of that i'm trying to have a monopoly over your life type shit as an employer what does that remind you of that sounds like slavery to me well yeah here's my thought Uh, a lot of the, the actions and decisions and systems we're based off of now did not develop during a time when we had a firm grasp or understanding of human psychology and so we made these systems that were immediately beneficial but we didn't give a fuck about the long-term psychological benefits or ramifications because we didn't understand it it wasn't important and it wasn't even necessary or even something that was accessible to most ordinary people if we were to stop erase the chalkboard and make a system now with the understanding of human psychology and science also where we listen to scientists we might develop a system that is Fulfilling, self-fulfilling, and raises the overall quality of our lives. But we're working off of old shit from a bunch of ignorant old slave owners, if I'm being a thousand percent real with you right now. I'm with you right now. My hand is like over my mouth, which is what I tend to do. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, snap, you just um, cracked the code. I'm just going to say it. Say it. That's <laughs> a, no, I mean, you you said it. I don't, I don't have to. It's just... <laughs> Oh, you guys, we gotta do better. <laughs> All every single one of us, we gotta we gotta actively do better. And it, take a break. And rest. Oh, wow. So All of much. It. So much. That's that is why 
And I have to I have to shout out the Nat Ministry right now because I I can't not because we've gotten to this point when you say rest it's like okay well we got to decolonize our rest and all that other kind of stuff but truly I was listening to her speak last week on Instagram Live and she was just like very much in an I told you so mood where it's like I hear all these people biting off of what I'm saying but don't get it fucked up I came up with this. You know, me, a black woman, you know, came up with this concept of why we need to reevaluate our relationship with rest and what we are missing from the picture that we haven't been considering is how it will benefit so many parts of our human lives, but also layers of society. Like there's so much that could actually be resolved with us prioritizing rest. So that goes back to this system that you're talking about, that we have the liberty to create. We truly do, but we just ain't. Yeah, I think we could, but if I'm being also another thousand percent honest, there's a lot of money and a lot of power up top that would be lost if we, it, it wouldn't have to be if people care about holding on to their made up money, like that's Ugh. all made up. It could be redirected. Like, isn't that fucked up? Isn't yeah. that fucked up? We all just kind of simultaneously agreed that something that does not exist in the universe, money does not exist in the fucking fabric of reality and universal code. Yeah, we made that up. You just all agreed. And then it's like the main plight. It's the main plague of humanity and human suffering is money. And it's just something that just, there's nothing there. It's fucking You know what it comes back to, though? If if I may, being the host of Black in the Garden, it comes back to a damn plant. Money is paper. Paper's a tree. Yeah. So with all this talking, let's get into your podcast, Greenhouse Rants. <laughs> oh, good God. Oh, you didn't think I was going to bring it up? You didn't think I was going to bring it up? So tell us how you got into podcasting. Let's just go back there. Oh, God. I do this all the time. Whether I'm standing in the shower making up fake arguments or like sitting in my greenhouse pollinating flowers, I'm usually talking to myself and I'm rambling and going through idea after idea after idea. Oh, and I've I've had to come to terms with how my brain works. I can't fight it. I just got to figure out how to make it work. And so um, I remember one time I was sitting in the greenhouse and I had this crazy ass thought, like one of those bonkers shower thoughts um, or what, yeah. you know, what they call like a high idea. And I was like, I'm going to get on my phone. So I pull my phone up and I go on Instagram live and I'm like, guys, in the listen shower? to this idea. No, Wait, no, in the greenhouse. In the greenhouse. Oh my God. My I don't know how. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. My bad. Yeah, I'm not trying to get canceled. <laughs> in, the, okay. in, in the greenhouse, I had this crazy idea and I'm sitting here running through it and I go on Instagram live to share because I thought it was funny. Uh-huh. And a lot of people thought it was thought it was funny. And someone okay. said, you should do this more often. So I did. And I would have these really funny ideas that I would do as Instagram stories about. And yeah, at some point, Someone, I, I went on a rant about people who I don't even remember, but someone responded and they said, oh my God, I love these greenhouse rants. And I thought, there's, there's something here. And I so well, I bought a mic. Yeah, I bought a mic and I just sat down and someone messaged me actually. And they said, you should consider a podcast about mm-hmm. this. And so I thought, if I'm going to sit in the greenhouse and scream anyways, 
I might as well just record it. Even if I'm wrong, even if it's a stupid thought, it is for me a documentation of me and my brain. And I thought if no one else in the world will appreciate this, I would have loved, loved, loved to have a collection of recordings from my father when he was my age. And so for me, I'm like, I wanted to be honest. I'm like, I'm a young man who is going through young man shit. I'm going through, you know, like growing pains and and through mental processes and like growing and evolving. And I was like, I should document that. Even if I say something stupid with the best Mm -hmm. intentions, I I want this here. And so I bought a microphone, I sat it there and I was like, I'm just going to sit in front of it and talk and see what happens. Maybe something fascinating comes through and Sometimes it does, and that's really the yeah. origin. That's about it. <laughs> it's very simple because it's like, y'all, it's all in the title. It's literally it's ranting <laughs> from the greenhouse. Like, we're not trying to bait and switch you. He's not going to talk about pop culture necessarily, uh, but it's a rant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what was, it's like, you, you know, he's not out here telling you he's going to be talking about makeup or, or mechanics yeah. or whatever. It's like, I don't even know what I'm going to talk about. It's a rant. So I like the way that rant kind of sets the tone where it's like, know what the tone will be, which is very much like, <laughs> you know, that. So I, I appreciate, I appreciate that you understand your mind. I'm trying. That's a, that's big. <laughs> like as a creative, I, what's happening for me right now is I thought it was just in my life as in circumstances, but it's also within like my whole entire being is there's a, it's a reconstruction where it's like, I had to really dismantle a lot and then like put it back together in a way that made way more sense (laughs) for me to be able to continue to operate. Like, especially the way that I think as I am new to entrepreneurship, I'm new to podcasting. As long as I've been wanting to do it, I didn't start until last year. Yeah. So that makes Congrats. me <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, I got some crazy, crazy shit brewing up in my lab. Crazy. Like, I'm going to give you a little teaser. Here's where we'll end. And yes. then we can pick up on part two. Boom. I am working on a sort of alchemical object, a thing I'm calling the phantom flora, which will be some of the world's first invisible flowers and that that is where i'm gonna go ahead and end that (laughs) yeah okay let's wrap it up real clean then tell us how we can find you and how we can support you yeah you uh, can find me on patreon Uh, i have a patreon where you can subscribe and get access to my blogs and my and workshops Uh, you can ask me plant questions and i'll answer them uh you can really just support me month to month uh, and help me build up toward a public lab slash conservatory that I'm going to build here in Tulsa. You can also find me on Instagram under Tyler Thrasher Art or tylerthrasher.com. Um, Greenhouse Ants, The Lost Magic, all everything I do is on my website at tylerthrasher.com. Pod cousin extraordinaire doing so many things that we couldn't fit it all into one episode. So we're just going to do two. <laughs> Y'all come back and, and join us for that. And until part two, I'm going to wish you love, light, and soul. What a time. What just, I want you to just take a moment and just 
let it all sink in. That was a great time for me. So I just feel like it was a good time for you because generally what I do when I'm considering guests that I want to have and the way that I want to have conversations, I am thinking about how it will be received by my audience. But I'm also following my own natural curiosity, right? And so in doing that, I definitely stumbled upon a a deep well (laughs) of a subject as far as um, indulging that curiosity, that natural curiosity. So just wrapping up, first of all, if you listen into this part, if you got this far, you're my favorite. I told you on the last episode and I'm going to keep telling you, you listen this far, you listen to the whole thing, you get to the end. Hello, I love you. Okay. So there's that. And I want to make sure that you check the show notes for all of the ways that you can support my guests, keep up with my guests, ways that you can support me, support Black in the Garden, keep up with Black in the Garden. All of that is in the show notes. I cannot emphasize enough you keeping up on social media and things. It helps in all the ways that it helps. So you know those handles at Black in the Garden on Instagram, which is, you know, the number one source of social media that I've been using. Mm, Got feelings about that, but it is what it is. And Black in the Garden on Twitter. It's, It's all in the show notes. I can't tell you this enough. And so the website will be launching very soon. It's all on me, y'all. It's it's on me. I'm doing my best with trying to keep up with everything, but I'm striving and still I rise. So definitely check into the show notes. Keep up with the Compost Society so that you can get your regenerative sustainability on if you're a grower, all right? And also make sure you check out the Plant Kiki. If it it's it's most likely for you. I, I recognize that it's not necessarily for everybody. We don't do everything to please everybody all the time. That's just not sensible. But I have definitely thought of having a good time and talking about plants. And so that show is done and that show is for you. And I appreciate you all so much. You could have been putting your ears any old place, but you put your ears right in the crosshairs of the Black in the Garden podcast. And we do not take that for granted. So I just want to wish you love, light, and soil and have a fantastic day.